Sometimes my love from the shadows bite Trust not how that money fights Rough touch so goddamn hard You can trade away your smooth for scar You lost Snow White right out the gate So you stumbled, you tumbled, you fell through fate Mirror's image came with shame We accept the dress of wearing chains Okay, sometimes my shadows bite Get so dark we hide from light Innocence dies and yet we keep our lives my truth and darkness ain't got shits on you Not under touch, not in my view Eyes open wide, I feel your truth Right here, right now, go shine on through Right here, right now, go shine on through Right here, right now, go shine on through Yeah, I see you Welcome to the Truth of Power podcast This is Curious G How does one speak truth to power? We do it in our art Through our music in the poetry of our language or by the comedy that we find in the darkness of days. The art on this podcast may offend, for we are imperfectly human and uncensored. We hope the themes will enlighten as well as entertain. For on the Truth to Power podcast, we wish to build enthusiasm for being connected. Hope you enjoy the show. Well, we're on. Ready for this shit? Yeah. This is Curious G, and I've got Miss Phoenix. Phoenix. It's been a while. It has. It has. You know what's up? What is up? (laughs) (laughs) We just talked about this. You don't know what's up? Innocence? Yes. Don't play innocent with me. (laughs) Jesus Christ, we just talked about it. Okay, so in case people don't know what's actually happening, today we're diving in to the song Innocence Kept. Last week we discussed love, and this week with my new guest, we are discussing innocence. And I thought I would get somebody that's very innocent in and of themselves. Now, they might not think so, but I, <laughs> I happen to know that this is the most innocent person that you could possibly find. Wouldn't you say? Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah, you're just you're just like a big ball of goodness. You know, what you need, and I, I think I know what you need, mm. you need one of those fairy godmothers. Mm. You're the perfect candidate. That's true. I could see you as a Cinderella <laughs> with like pumpkin seeds and shit in your hair. <laughs> so I kind of talked to you a little bit about innocence, but before I start bringing out my shit on the topic of innocence... Um, I'm curious, what do you think about this topic? Um, well, when you told me about it, I've been thinking in my, how I look at innocence, it's not so much like nothing is, how do I say this? It's not so much. You say it in front of the microphone, you (laughs) tit. That's, That's how you say it. It's not so much like when people think of innocence, it's like they think of like back when they're a child or everything is good. But in my view, innocence is more like a scale. You, how I feel like I'm innocent is like my spark, um, my intent to do good into the world, what I put out into the world, not so much childhood or new life as a lot of people I feel like view innocence. I feel it's, it's more in your intent to do things, you know? I never cried at a wedding or a funeral. I never sent a Christmas card, and I cheated my wife, if I had the time. But I've got one soft spot. A man is innocent until proven guilty. You know, it's funny. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, and we talked about how the 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 road to hell is paved with good intentions, you know, and um, it was actually one of the discussions we had about the Nazis, right? Like the Nazis, when they first started out, they thought that they had a way better way of of being in the world, you know? Um, they had something, I don't know if you ever heard of eugenics. Okay, so this was the basis for the scientific approach that led up to what the Nazi party was. So back following World War II, um, Germany was seen as some of the smartest people on the fucking planet, right? And their scientists were considered to be the smartest scientists on the planet by many, many people. And they were traveling around the world and they were talking about this thing called eugenics. In fact, they came to the United States and talked about it. And their idea of eugenics was that they would um, create a better form of humanity over time by by paring together people 
of higher intelligence, higher character, stuff like that. It was a concept, yeah. right? Um, and that concept was was taken and distorted by the Nazi political party, right? Like they tried to put that idea into the fast lane. Um, but if you think about it in terms of like the way that dogs are bred, right? Like some dogs are bred to serve a particular purpose. They thought along the lines of, of a human race doing that. Now today we look back on that idea and we're like, that's crazy, right? But back then they, they didn't really have the experiences of what Germany became where they were burning fucking millions of people alive, right? Yeah. They, but what they said was that you could cure things like mental illness, emotional problems, um, retardation, physical deformities. They thought that things like poverty was a, a mental illness that could be cured, right? Like, so they, they, and people kind of listened to them because like I said, they were the leading scientists of the world, right? Not just the leading scientists, but the arts, like think about the, the musicians and composers that came out of Germany, like Beethoven and shit like that, right? Uh, so there was, there was a lot of intelligence associated with the Germans and people kind of trusted them which is why so many people got behind the idea of eugenics. The problem was, is they tried to put that shit in the fast lane and just eliminate people that they thought, you know, wouldn't get better. But here's the idea of they had good intentions, you know? Yeah. Uh, when they invaded countries, like they invaded France, they really believed that what they were going to do was going to be better, right? So when the Nazi party rose to power, it was um, following like the stock market crash and all that stuff. And what they blamed at the time was, was the Jewish banker, right? Like there was a very prejudiced thing in a lot of ways. But, um, you know, that was kind of like the, the scapegoat in their society. That was like, this is why you guys don't have jobs. This is why you guys are suffering, mm -hmm. right? So think back to, to our country recently where we've blamed so many things on the uh, illegal immigrant, Right. Oh, the Mexicans that are coming in to the country, they're taking our jobs, they're ruining our country. You know, it's the same kind of thing. But, you know, that was a form of innocence, you know. So um, it, one of the things we brought out on the podcast was um, uh, a, a good person tries to change the world. A person of good character tries to change themselves. You know, and um, so this this topic of innocence, I do want to look at it a little bit um, as how we see innocence. Um, and actually, you know, speaking of fucking Germans, <laughs> Nietzsche, do you know that dude? I do. Okay. What do you know about Nietzsche? Uh, he's a philosopher. He is. He is a philosopher. Um, do you know what he said or what he did? Um, I know one of his quotes, God is dead. Yeah. And... I read about him years ago. I've, I'm struggling to think of it now, though. Do you know what that thing meant, God is dead? Um, I also remember reading about it. Not quite sure right now, though. See, a lot of people, because he was very anti-Christian, right? Like, he didn't buy into the whole Christian mentality, right? In fact, he was very critical of it. But it wasn't really meant to sound as hateful as way that people took it. Right. So we were coming out of the age of enlightenment. Um, and what basically uh, the age of enlightenment was when science really took a forefront in things. Right. And it kind of did away with religion. People started to trust science. Right. Like eugenics is an example of that. People started to move away from religion. Religion was always like the guide. It was the thing that was guiding humanity for a long time. And Nietzsche said, now that we have this age of enlightenment and the, and the science and you guys are trusting all this, what's, what's missing now is a moral compass, right? So today we have, um, in the world today, we have a group called the humanists. And humanists are people that don't have a religious belief. But what they believe is that you can have the same moral compass that religions talk about, like all the good stuff without all the mass murder. Yeah. <laughs> right? So humanists will practice kindness and love and patience and all this stuff because they believe that that's what you do as being human. But when, when Nietzsche said that God is dead, what he was talking about is the moral compass for humanity. 
And now you're enlightened and now you're trusting science and now you're trusting this and you're trusting that. And what people did for the first time when World War I and World War II happened is these wars were based on political ideologies and not religious beliefs, which was always the reason for war in the past, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But Nietzsche actually predicted the mass murders that would happen in World War II years before they happened. Because, you know, what he saw was when you lose that moral compass, when God is dead in the hearts of men, men are capable of anything. Mm-hmm. You know, so that was, that was what Nietzsche meant by that. But he was, he was a dude that criticized a lot of things. So Nietzsche explains um, in, in some of his writing about good and bad, right? He said that good and bad came down to who it had been that defined the concept, right? Who, who decides what's good and who decides what's bad? And he said, often through most of our recent history, it's been the wealthiest people who guided society towards concepts like selflessness, right? This was a religious idea um, or meekness, which was also a religious idea, which in turn, the wealthy people that, that guided people that direction didn't follow it, right? But here's the thing. Let's say you're a, a peasant. Okay. Okay. Pretend you're a fucking peasant. You're a peasant. I'm a king. <laughs> I'm just lavishly living life, sleeping with what? Whores? Yes. Okay. Let's just say I'm the kind of king that sleeps with whores. I've got whores out the yin yang. <laughs> That's a lot of whores, right? That is a lot That's of like whores. a bucket full. Um, at least. <laughs> and there's a buffet and I'm eating it every night. Right, I'm at the buffet with a bucket of whores, and it's um, you know Jesus is there probably, probably you know football. I don't know. Some stuff is happening, <laughs> and you're not a part of it. But you are working like six days a week, right? And you're working like 12, 13, 14 hour days, and you're tending the farm, and you're bringing all the food to my buffet. <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> but there's an expectation on Sunday. God's day, mm. you're supposed to not do any work at all, according to Jesus that's at the you know buffet yeah. with the bucket of whores. Yeah. Um, you're supposed to go to church where you hear things like, the, the meek shall inherit the earth. Don't kill the king. He probably won't be in heaven, but you will. Be forgiving. Now show back up to work on Monday. <laughs> you know? yeah. and, and this was the stuff that, that, that the peasantry heard for a long time. Do you know when the shit went south? No. For you peasants? No. You guys were cool with it for a long fucking time, by the way. You guys were like, all right. (laughs) (laughs) That's, that's, uh, were you cool with it? I guess so, yeah. You were cool with it until the Black Plague. Mm. Ooh, 60% of all of Europe fucking dies. And then God's ideas didn't seem to really seem neat anymore. They're like, wait a minute, (laughs) we're doing what you wanted and the king wanted and God and all that stuff. But why are you killing everybody, God? Yeah. You know, that was when people started to jump the fuck off board. And that actually was about the same time that the age of enlightenment came and people started to revolt against the church. Mm. Right. So like here in America, we got the Protestant religion, which was in protest of the Catholic church. They left oppression, came here where nobody could control them, killed a bunch of Native Americans, right? And um, had them some Jesus. Oh, yeah. But they were free of the king, which was me, and the Mm. bucket buffet of pussy. (laughs) (laughs) But now they were free to believe anything, right? But they still held on to these ideas like meekness and da-da-da-da. Well, what Nietzsche said was... You know, when we when we put all these ideas into the minds of most people, it was the wealthy people that, that kind of instilled this into people, the kings and the wealthy and the church and all this and that. And it was ideally to control people. They wanted them to be meek because they didn't want anybody to be a leader or stand yeah. up with a voice. Is that fucking devious or what? What do you think about that shit? Mr. Evans fits the criteria of a malignant narcissist, charming, Highly intelligent as you've witnessed. But malignant narcissists are compelled to prove their superiority. Everything's a seduction. 
And if they're rejected or things don't go their way, they lose control. Some other more well-known malignant narcissists were Jeffrey Dahmer, John Wayne Gacy. Now, hold on. Sounds pretty accurate to me. I mean, that still happens today, right? <laughs> it seems. <laughs> I mean, today we've got different stuff, right? We have different stuff, yeah, but it's basically the same ideas, right? Yeah, today we got like Jerry Springer <laughs> that gives us that good idea right at the end. Like you have a whole episode of like cousin fucking, mm. <laughs> you know, there they are at a different buffet, <laughs> right? I'm the king of the trailer park, bitch. <laughs> right? Yeah. With a with a bucket full of whores. Yeah. Okay. They're trailer park whores though. They're different <laughs> than the they're, king whores. Very different. Very different. You ever known any of them bucket whores from the trailer park? I do. I do. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I know a lot of them bitches. <laughs> okay. Now, are they meek? No. No, no, them bitches ain't meek. <laughs> no, now we're in chaos in society. <laughs> There's no more of that meekness shit. We're not going to church anymore. So God is dead, maybe. Mm. But we're getting our spiritual wisdom from Jerry Springer. He's going to make it all better. <laughs> Apparently. That guy. <laughs> How are we doing? Good. Okay. <laughs> we'll just keep Jerry Springer on in the background, I guess. <laughs> okay, so here's the question. And I was actually building to a question. Okay. Because <laughs> I figured you might want to answer some. How, how does Nietzsche's ideas about good and bad shake up the regular ideas about right and wrong? Especially when thinking how rich people impacted society, Right. Like, it, it, does that phrase that he talked about change your thinking? Not personally my thinking, no. So you, you go back in the time, and, and this is where the original idea of good and bad came from, by the way, in society, okay. right? Babylonian time, right? If, let's say, you slapped the shit out of my mother. Damn! Okay. <laughs> Just for the sake of argument, okay. if I let that shit slide, I'm a bad man. If I whooped your ass in the street, I'm a good man. Why? Because I'm doing what's right. Mm -hmm. So put that in today's terms. Me, you, and a bucket of whores from the trailer park are on the bus. Okay. And there's a maniac on the bus. And he's just walking around slapping old women with dildos in the face. Okay. <laughs> what do you do? Probably get off the fucking bus. <laughs> okay, you would be a bad person according to the original Babylonian version of of good and bad. I just... If you took that dildo away from that maniac and beat the shit out of him on the bus, I mean, today you'd probably be arrested, but according <laughs> to a Babylonian, you'd be a good person. Hmm. What do you think? I don't think it's that easy. Oh, damn. <laughs> I thought it might be. <laughs> So how easy is it? I don't think good and bad is very easy. I don't think innocent and guilty is that easy. Mm. I think it, you have to look at it a little bit differently. Innocence and within yourself. And then there's innocence within society. You know, there's different aspects to it. Levels. Levels. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, we just had a Seinfeld moment. <laughs> If you guys didn't know, but there's a lot of Seinfeld rolling around in <laughs> Phoenix's head. She could at any moment slip silently into Seinfeld, <laughs> South Park, or American Dad. Yes. Yes. <laughs> She's also prone to some Rick and Morty. <laughs> okay, but, but good and bad, right? So think about an infant. Is an infant innocent? Yes. In which way? Because they haven't really made much impact on the world. Right. And they're just doing what they do. They're, they're like animals, you know? Wow. <laughs> Jesus. Not in that way. She could be a Nazi. <laughs> we have a closet I Nazi. Just, Fuck it. I just mean like, you know how animals just be. They don't have, you know, agendas or they don't have, they just live in the moment, just like infants. You I know? think I got what you're saying. I yeah. do think they're a little filthy animals, to be honest. <laughs> I'm going to put filthy on there too. I'm, I'm with you. They're animals. <laughs> <laughs> little bastards. But an infant mental state is dynamic and changes over time in response to internal or environmental influences. Mm. 
But you know, th- what they do though, like if you see a baby like six months old, they just are figuring out the laugh and the smile, yeah. right? Before that, they're like animals, <laughs> but they figure out like, like, oh shit, I'm happy, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And they're happy about the strangest things, right? Like you hide behind your hands and then you pop out and they think that you just appeared there, right? Like yeah. they just think that's badass, but they'll- <laughs> They'll smile at you with this happiness and it's just inside of them. Yeah. Right. And that's the kind of innocence that I'm talking about. And that's kind of the innocence that I was talking about in this song. Um, Because this song was about Amelia, you know, like she told me this story one day about her mother. And I told you this before, and I mentioned it on the last podcast. And I realized, you know, as much darkness as she has known in her life, somehow she's kept this goodness inside of her guarded, mind you. She's a guarded person and um, doesn't let the walls down easy. But goddamn, there's a good person underneath all that stuff. I feel it. You know, I, I see you that way. I think you're a guarded person. Definitely a guarded person. <laughs> <laughs> on God. The sword? Come on, give him the sword. <laughs> How about you? <laughs> <laughs> okay, but we believe that infants are born with the ability to form expectations. We buy... When I say we, I mean like scientists today. Yeah, science. (laughs) Those godless fucks that gave us Nazi Germany. (laughs) But, you know, they they believe basically that um, infants are born with the ability to form expectations, right? And they use these expectations basically to predict the future. Mm -hmm. They start to understand what's going to happen based on what happened in the past, Yeah. right? So like if them motherfuckers uh, are hungry, what are they going to do? Eat. Well, right. I know they're going to eat. But they're going <laughs> to, yeah, they're just, well, they're not just walking over to the refrigerator. I'm hungry. I believe I'm going to go get me something to eat. No, they, they got to let us know yeah. how they do that. They cry. Yeah, they cry very innocently. Motherfucker, give me some food. They don't know how to ask, right? But th- they cry. And then when you bring them food, they know that that works. Yeah. Now, if they cry and they don't get shit, it might stop. <laughs> They might just be hungry after a while. But the point is that scientists talk about this is they say that the um, their ability to kind of see what's coming is not fear-based, which is kind of the innocence that is intact with, with babies. In fact, there's only two fears that a baby is born with. Do you know what they are? No, I'm not. They're afraid of loud noises. Like this shit is loud compared to the womb. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like that was like filtered, right? They were like, you know, behind this, I don't know. What is that thing? The belly? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And the wall of stuff. I don't know. The fluids. Yeah. (laughs) You're a girl. I I don't know. I've never been pregnant. (laughs) Oh, Jesus. But you have never had this stuff in school. I didn't really pay attention. Oh, Jesus. (laughs) You didn't pay attention. Well, they didn't really talk about it in depth. Okay. Well, and my health teacher was, to say the least, weird. Okay. Well, I don't really know because I'm not a scientist and I haven't really looked at this part in my research. But let's say say the f- womb is filled with marshmallows. Okay. Because it's <laughs> soft, I think. Um, that kind of filters the sound, right? The marshmallows. Yeah. yeah. Makes it where you can't quite hear everything that's going on out there. Mm-hmm. Well, then you pop out. And all of a sudden, fuck, is it loud out here? And this is what they deal with. So that's one of the fears. The other fear is when they're in the womb, they can't fall. Well, they get into this gravity shit. And all of a sudden, gravity is a little scary to a baby, especially since they don't have the muscle control to be able to stop themselves from falling on their faces. They tend to get a little afraid of that. (laughs) 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 So... These are the fears that that kids have. But other than that, they're pretty innocent because they look at the world as being kind of a part of them. They're no different than the world. They've been inside this womb where everything is kind of them. Yeah. You know, and when they first get out here, they don't know that people are not them. They don't know that anything is not them. Everything is them at some point. And, and scientists say that there's a part where a baby starts to realize that they are separate from the world, and that's where fear starts to come into play. Mm. But up until that point, they're exploring. 
You remember. Hardly. <laughs> you don't remember being a baby? <laughs> no. Do you remember what it was like when you were young? Did you, do you remember like the way you saw the world? I remember when I was young, young, like four or five, I think. It's like the earliest memories that I have. Were you afraid of people? I've always kind of been afraid of people. Yeah. Mm. But you weren't afraid of shit like roller coasters. Fuck no. Oh, okay. I'm an and adrenaline junkie. <laughs> you're an adrenaline junkie. An adrenaline now, why, junkie. why are you not afraid of roller coasters? The excitement, I guess. So nothing ever happened that was bad. Right? Like if the first time No, no, when I was on a roller coaster one time I hit my head really hard and that shit sucked when I was going upside down, but I still rode on them. But you weren't standing in line and it came off the rails and killed like a bunch of people. No. Okay, no. so if that had happened <laughs> I'd probably be a little hesitant. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, ah, I'll let somebody else go first. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I already bought my tickets. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so this is the kind of innocence that I'm talking about is that they really haven't had a lot of bad things happen. A lot of times babies are protected. Obviously, your parents were very intelligent by preparing you for the evils that exist. That's true. But most people, (laughs) when they're babies, the only shit we get, well, maybe not when we're babies, but when we're growing up, you get a little bit of don't talk to strangers. What's some other stuff they tell you? Um... I don't know. Something about candy? <laughs> don't take candy? Don't. <laughs> You're bad at this. Don't take candy from strangers, you tit. <laughs> okay. I'm trying to get to the place where, you know, we, we, we think about like where a baby's coming from, I guess. Mm. Right? Like they don't have an idea of what's right or wrong. Where do they get that shit? I think from around everybody else telling them what's right and wrong. And then as you get older, you kind of get a sense of how you feel. Um, But even now still, I I'm working on that. You know, what is my right and wrong? And sometimes you just have to try shit and you're like, that didn't feel okay. Or, Oh, that felt okay. You know? Um, And it's all, I think it's all a learning process. I do too. And when I was growing up, I had a lot of mixed messages about right and wrong. Me too. <laughs> um, I, I think where I have landed on things is my, my conscious kind of speaks to me. And basically it plays out for me like this. Um, how do I want people to treat me? Yeah. You know, um, if people are kind, you know, if I want people to be kind to me, maybe I should try to be kind. You know, if, if people, if I want people to be understanding of where I'm coming from, maybe I should try to understand where people are coming from. So that's, that's kind of my guide. And I think everything for me, it comes down to love or fear. I yeah. think love connects us. And I think fear divides us. Divides us. Um, in fact, if I were to put it into better words, um, love opens us to the world and the people in it where fear shuts us off from the true connection and leads us into a thousand forms of self-serving self-reliance you know and i think this is one of the things that babies start to learn in the world is if they can't rely on the people that's around them they're going to rely on themselves i haven't seen you my whole life and and now you come back and just expect a relationship (laughs) i hate you so how does love help connect us with the world i connect through the world through music and art that's how i and cooking I don't really know how to socialize very well or or do this very well, but I take what I feel inside and I give it to the world and I create something and then I find like-minded people. And that's kind of my how I love, how I show people that I love them. I think that's beautiful. Um, making food for somebody is uh, one of the most unconditional forms of love that we have. Because we work to make the money to get the food. We take the time to shop and buy the food. We take the time to cook it and and present it to somebody in a, a, a beautiful way to give energy to their body and their life without any expectations. Yeah. Right? I mean, we like to hear some shit like, oh, this is good, right? Yeah. <laughs> we like that. That's an expectation, I suppose. But a lot of times I've made food for people and I've just given it to them without anything. Yeah. You know? My filthy-ass animal cousin... <laughs> <laughs> Segway. Um, my filthy ass animal cousin, he was a dude that I lived with for a long time. 
And, um, you know, the prejudice one that yeah, had yeah. the, you know, racist stuff. And, yeah. Yeah. That dude, <laughs> you know, I used to cook all the time, right? Yeah. I, I like to cook like you do. And I would just make food. I'd buy the food and he wouldn't chip in. And then I'd make the food and he wouldn't clean up. And after doing this for a long time, it, it struck me, he's never going to chip in. He's never going to help clean up. He's never going to say thank you. Right. And, yeah. and and why is that? Why did I arrive at that idea? Do you think? Because he doesn't understand what you were trying to do with having a meal together. I feel like he didn't take it. He took it for granted. Basically, he wasn't grateful for it. That's that's true. Um, all that's true. But the bigger side of that is he wouldn't do it for himself. You know, he ate fast food every time that he ate. He always either paid for somebody to make food for him or stopped at a fast food thing, or he never made food for himself. He just never did it, you know? And, um, you know, when you feed yourself, you're in a lot of ways nurturing yourself. You're caring for yourself, Yeah. you know? And, um, you know, I, I, I've, I felt at the time, like if I was going to continue to feed this dude, um, it's only because he's my cousin and I care for him as a human being, but I couldn't expect anything from him. Yeah. And that went on for quite a while. And I was, I was not resentful anymore. And that's what kind of saved me from being resentful towards him, you know? Um, and I think that's the way that love connects us to the world around us. Um, you know, fear, I think it keeps us from forming real connections. I agree wholeheartedly with that. Hmm. What do you think my cousin was afraid of, that bastard? Um, connecting with people. Um, having to share. Not being so selfish. I feel like a lot of people don't know how to share the conversation or share whatever they're doing or whatever they have to have a connection with somebody. You know, some, some people are alone so long that they don't see the value in it mm. and they start to get fearful that, well, if I'm with you, then you would have half my things, but they don't see that with sharing and with communicating and all of that, you get something way greater than whatever you would have before. I think that he never took the time to try to learn to cook. Um, he didn't trust the process, you know, um, and he probably never really, well, I know he never got that from his home, right? But I, I think that he never took the time to like care for himself, you know? And I think a lot of that was, was the fear of failure, you know, fear of not knowing. So I think, you know, being comfortable in the uncomfortable is a big, big part of love. I think we have to be comfortable with the uncomfortable in order to be a part of love. I think fear is one of the things where we seek comfort, you know? Um, but, you know, getting back to these idea of, of, you know, moral concepts, right? We tend to think of moral concepts like good and evil as stable a lot of times. This is what good is and that's what evil is and it doesn't ever change. Um, but this was some of the stuff that um, Nietzsche actually kind of, brought up in his essay, Good and Evil, um, sometimes called Good and Bad. It examines the evolution of two distinctive moral codes. And this is what Nietzsche talked about, how the, the wealthy class, um, he called that the knightly and aristocratic or master morality, right? The people that were in power. That's why he called it the master morality, the kings, that motherfucker with the bucket of pussy and the buffet, mm. right? Like they're making the rules, yeah. Right. That's the master morality. And then they kind of did whatever they want, um, is what he says. And this comes from um, early rulers and conquerors who judged their own power, wealth, and success to be good. Right. God blessed me. And, and they looked at the poverty and the wretchedness of those that they ruled over to be bad. And for them, that was the idea of, of good and bad. And Nietzsche imagined that um, you know, like he, he used the example that lambs might judge a bird of prey to be evil for killing and considers themselves good for not killing. But these judgments to Nietzsche were meaningless since lambs do not refrain from killing out of some kind of moral 
you know, value that they place on it, but simply because a lamb can't really kill. They're not good at it. They've mm-hmm. tried. But lambs, let's just say they're pussies. <laughs> you ever see a lamb in a fist fight? No. You probably won't. <laughs> but when Nietzsche talks about these two types of morality, right, the, the master morality, and he called the other one the slave morality, and he saw Christianity as a type of slave morality, that we see ourselves as being good for being meek, you know, but we're never going to stand up to the king that's oppressing everybody. We're never going to stand up to the Nazi, right? We're just going to sit down on the bus and be quiet when that maniac with the dildo is slapping grandma, Mm. right? That's, That's the meekness. Oh, it's okay. Just be meek. God will want us to be meek and we're going to go to heaven. So this is kind of where he placed these different things, right? Um, You know, Nietzsche talks about these two types of morality, um, where one uh, is is people that are seen as masters and um, everyone is, is treated more equally if you're in that level. But how does this connect with innocence, right? Like if, if these people are making the rules of what's right and wrong, what, what really is innocent? Not really sure. Either am I. Either am like I. Like I said earlier, I think that there's innocence within ourselves and there's innocent within society. And I feel like just because something is considered innocent or good in society doesn't mean that you should still do it. You still have to have that inner innocence and that inner compass with inside you to decide, okay, well, do I agree with this or do I not agree with this? You know, because sometimes you're told things in society that you're not supposed to do or you're supposed to do. And well, just to be honest, that's fucking bullshit. That is fucking bullshit. You know, a lot of, a lot of the rules are kept to keep people down. A lot of the rules are to shut people up. A lot of rules are to pretty much give the power to somebody else. And this is what Nietzsche was talking about. You have to be within your own compass. You have to know what's good and bad to to dictate whether society is telling you what's going to bad. Yes. There are some things in society, like don't kill people. And my compass, that's a good rule, right? I don't want to cool. I don't want to kill people, Good, but in other rules, you know, like sit down and shut up, you know, like (laughs) (laughs) fuck you, you know? Wow. Um, You got hard fast. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you might be a good person after all. Yeah. But I think I think that what you're talking about is the same thing that Nietzsche was talking about. The same thing. Yeah. And and when he said God is dead, he meant that the control that the church had over people is no longer there. And he saw that as a good thing, but he saw it as a bad thing at the same time because he thought that people weren't prepared yeah. to to have that kind of freedom. I- I agree with him. <laughs> yeah. So you and Nietzsche are the same, except he doesn't have like, he has more facial hair, I guess is what I'm trying to a say. Little, little. Yeah. He has that mustache. <laughs> but abandoning religion, um, if, if people just abandon it completely, especially in this country where we're loaded with it, right? If we just abandon religion, governments would have less control over the individual. Definitely. Do you know anybody that just so believes in Jesus, but doesn't really at all? Yeah. Yeah, my family. Oh, (laughs) let's talk about them. (laughs) Tell me about that. Um, Well, they believe in in God and Christianity, and they believe that the cops are on our side and the government's on our side, and that kind of I'm a little odd. You? Um, Yes, because I disagree with all of that you and Nietzsche Um. (laughs) you evil bastards clearly (laughs) godless you are all right so perhaps we have one foot in the world of shadows cast from the experiences of delusion and the other in the realm of light known as conscience energy which world do we step into more Hopefully you're in both. Hopefully we're in a little bit of both. Just like yin and yang. Oh my goodness. Tell me about that shit. What's the, what's the deal with that? The yin and the yang. Well, going on the topic, there's a little bit of bad in the good and a little bit of good in the bad. There's a little bit of dark in the light and light in the dark. And personally, I believe to be balanced. 
and you're walking right on the line of that, then everything's okay. So getting back to that baby. Mm. Yes. Let's bring that yin and yang back to the baby. (laughs) In the womb of marshmallow goodness. Okay. Where the self had been connected to the world that surrounded the marshmallow, or the fetus. You know, the marshmallow Mm -hmm. world, they're connected to that. Um, Separation was non-existent for nine months. Uh, A baby in a womb is in a state uh, where we don't experience fear. Nothing is introduced to us to be like suffering through our experiences or separation from the needs of self. Like we can't be hungry, right? Because we're being fed like automatic right? Yeah. We're just at that real buffet, right? (laughs) Our needs have been met without effort on our part. The enveloped interconnectedness of self. It appeared to end at some point after birth and the individual would now comprehend need perhaps without finding satisfaction. Like you could be hungry, you can't get to the fridge. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, The individual could be hungry in pain, cold, or hot and unable to secure comfort. We could be hurt, we could feel pain from the outside world or from the people in it. And we learned fear as we discovered we were separate from the world, right? So this chips away at some of that innocence, that that curiosity, that that connectedness. And the reason why I think this is important is that baby, for nine months when we were in the womb, we knew interconnectedness. We didn't know separation. Right? We didn't know that fear. All of our needs were just met automatically. And I think that so many things, like when people abuse drugs, they're trying to find that interconnectedness again, yeah. where everything is okay. Uh, alcohol, sex, money. A lot of these things, it gives us the illusion of security, of being okay, not needing anything. Right, being connected to everything around us. And I think this is what we're looking for for our entire lives. Right? Yeah. Even friendships and marriages. It gives us this idea that we're connected. But I don't think that we're not connected. I think we all are. To a degree. I believe that everything is connected around us. And in my beliefs, everything has energy. And that's personally my God is energy. So you and I are having a conversation right now and we're both displaying energy. The trees outside have energy and we're connected to them. Um, and just the whole world is like that. So in a, in, a, in a way we are all connected, but at the same time, I feel like personally, I'm, I feel di- very disconnected from everybody, you know, at the same time. And this is, this is kind of what I'm getting at with this song here, Right. There's some innocence within us. And I think that we all know that interconnectedness. Yeah. And I think I call myself Phoenix. (laughs) And I think we're all looking for it, but I think that a lot of people do feel disconnected. But here's, you you just said that we we were connected um, right now having this conversation. And it's very true. We're not physically connected, but our minds are connected because we're having a conversation. We're engaging in each other. Well, there's sound ways when you speak, when I speak, and our ears are actually connecting to those sound waves when we interpret the language and we're we're connected in the information. So there's an interconnectedness there, a spiritual one, because it's not physical, right? And this is kind of what I'm talking about. So if you you want to think about how we're connected to nature, right? You're breathing right now. Like you, you mentioned the trees. That's the other half of our lungs. Yeah. If you put a tree inside of a fucking bag, right? <laughs> it'd have to be a big bag yeah. and sealed it completely with with nothing but tree breath, right? Yeah. And they can't get to our breath. They'd die. They'd die. And the same with us. Yeah. Put us in a bag. <laughs> no, this is not an experiment you should try at home. I feel I should say that for the people listening. But don't put any trees in a bag and laugh maniacally. <laughs> Phoenix will do that later. Um <laughs> But if we, if you're cut off from air, you die. Yeah. If you're cut off from water, you die. You die. If you're cut off from the food that's grown up out of the earth, you die. If you're cut off from the energy that that made that food, right from the sun, so the elements: yeah. fire, water, earth, air. These things 
have us connected to nature. You know, um, the very early civilization, when you go back to the, the Babylonian people, right? Uh, talking about good and bad back then. They had, um, today we've seen the pentagrams, you know, mm-hmm. that star, but that star was a symbol of man, not the upside down one but the right side up one. And the top point was supposed to be the fifth element, and that was spirit. And spirit was supposed to, de- to descend into the elements and flow through this path of life. And then at the end of life where you die, you return to spirit having experienced the physical world, right? But they, they saw this as a symbol of spirit being above the elements, mm-hmm. even though we were passing through them. But there was, there was kind of an idea that, that our path in life was going to one day return to the innocence of spirit and leave behind our experience on this, on this realm. So that was that symbol. And when you see the pentagram flipped upside down, the idea, and this is where they get the idea that it's evil, right, was that the elements are above the spirit of man, mm-hmm. that we are uh, kind of um, beneath things like greed and lust, and we should just give in to it. Right, so these are different perspectives that came out from a long time ago, but I think it's really interesting um, that one saw spirit above the flesh, and the other one saw flesh above the spirit, and that gave people ideas of of good and evil. Yeah, you know, how do you see that shit? Not really sure. <laughs> good answer. <laughs> I'd rather you say that than come up with some bullshit. <laughs> That's when people get themselves in trouble. <laughs> Fucking Nazis. <laughs> um, all right. So there's a, there's a narrative of self, right? And this is kind of what I'm getting at. When when we're in the womb, we're we're already thinking. We're already mapping out reality according to scientists, and that's why I believe that we we have this interconnected feeling. And after we're born, we start to learn that we're separate, and that's when fear starts to really develop. But this near, narrative of self that we tell is a story where we're trying to understand the world. But a lot of the narrative of self becomes this delusion that we live throughout our lives, for better or for worse, right? Sometimes we believe the lie, especially if we're growing up in a household that's fucking nuts, right? We, we, we have this view of the world that, that isn't the way that the world is. You know, maybe we have a hard time with connection. Maybe we have a hard time with touch. Maybe we have a hard time with love or trusting people. Yeah. Right? Maybe we're imprisoned with fear. But underneath all of there is that experience of interconnectedness. So how do we get back to that innocence? Think. Think meditation. Good yeah. answer, meditation. And just listening to yourself, you know? I think you'll find that within meditation. If you just quiet your mind, you'll find your inner self. I get a lot of that from when I do art. That's why I do art so often is because... When I'm doing that, I'm not thinking about, you know, what I have to do today or my fears or, oh, did I say that correctly? Or, or oh, am I going to be on time over here? You know, I'm not thinking about any of that. I'm just kind of connecting with my God and I get to express myself. And through that, I get to find who I really am. You know, I got to take a step back and be like, whoa, that came out of me. Holy shit. <laughs> you know, um, and I, I, that's how I find myself as meditation and art, I guess. You know, one of the things about art is they say that art is bringing something into the world that did not exist before. Yeah. You know, and I, I think that one of the things that we do when we make our art, it's a collection of images that we've experienced in, in our, our life. And it's the way that we assemble them. Mm-hmm. And it, the, the art itself couldn't be there unless we assembled it. Yeah. But we couldn't have assembled it if we hadn't been in life and, yeah. and seeing all these images. So it's, it's, there's a, a conversation, I think, with art where we're not just this separate artist that creates this separate form of art. No, it's connected. It's all connected. It's just like the saying, um, nothing is created, nothing is destroyed, it just changes. I believe that with everything in life. Hmm. You know, when, when you take art, it, you you didn't create something, you saw something and you changed it, but that becomes something entirely new. And then years later, someone will look at your art or your conversation or your whatever, and they'll have inspiration just like we did before. 
and it just keeps changing and bringing something new into the world. Mm. You know, you think like governments fear artists? Somewhat. I feel like depending how big they get. Um, I feel like a lot of people don't fear them until they get big enough, you know? So you think they try to control some of the ideas? Definitely. If people are listening. You remember that dude, uh, what was his name? John Lennon? I don't know him. You don't know John Lennon. No. Jesus Christ. <laughs> what? <sighs> okay. You've heard Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. No, and those are the, those are the Beatles of the gospels. <laughs> no, um, John, Paul, you know, you don't know the Beatles? The Beatles. I know the, the Beatles. Beatles. John Lennon. The Come singer? On. Yeah, the dude. Okay. You know, he was that okay. dude. Well, he, he wrote a song called Imagine, where he talked about imagine a world that didn't have basically borders or, you know, money or things that controlled people, right? He imagined a world where people could be connected. And they shot him <laughs> for talking about shit like that. I think, I think that's why he was shot. Yeah. I think that he had a scary message and he reached a lot of people and a lot of people were listening to him, Yeah, you know? Um, but that's just my crazy conspiracy idea, right? Um, no, I feel like that might be true. I don't, I don't really know him, but that's happened a lot in society. Yeah. Is when people speak up all of a sudden, oh, they're dead, they got shot and nobody knows who, you know, or nobody knows what happened. You know, you know that Rage Against the Machine song. Mm-hmm. Um, they gave the power to the half knots. Yeah, yeah. And then came the shot. Yeah, they yeah. were they were talking about shit like that, right? So if you think about the idea that if uh, people stop following religious ideas, um, and and governments might have less control over people, um, how does this link to keeping or losing innocence in the society that has been set up? Well, I feel like a lot of people that follow religion um, don't really know how to find what's true for themselves. And they kind of take the easy way um, of somebody telling them what's good and bad. Um, So if we didn't have religion, I feel like those people would have a choice, either get real with yourself or follow somebody else's shit. And I feel like a lot of them are going to follow somebody else's shit, which is probably the government. Mm. Um, So I feel like they would still have a lot of control, um, but I feel like it would be in a little bit different way. I feel like people would understand more so that the government has control. It'd be a little more clear um, than it is now. You know, I think that, you know, getting back to this idea of innocence, and this is one of the things that's really been hard to research. Out of everything that I've researched, by the way, innocence has been one of the hardest things. And the reason is, is because there's not a lot of people that's talking about it, except for the people that are of religious nature, right? And then they all go back to the Adam and Eve thing, you know, when that... Bitch ate the apple, right? Mm. You know, fucking bitch. <laughs> she caused all that trouble, man, and you know that's probably why she was in the bucket of horrors, I guess. Mm. But um, perhaps the solution lies in an actual restructuring of values in our society, in order to align things like our economy, the the money that we work for, right, with with practices that are of uh, maybe protectionism, right? Can we align? the money that we're earning with actually protecting and conserving things, right? Like environmental conditions um, where we're actually caring for the environment uh, or healthcare over profit, right? If we're actually caring for each other or education, right? Which improves people, I think. Yeah. Right. Um, Or social services over incarceration and poverty, right? If we can actually align, um, Jobs that are profitable, <laughs> that give us, I don't know, a sense of value for self um, and cares for each other. <laughs> I think we would be a little bit closer to innocence. I feel like a lot of people view that way, but there's a select few that that don't, you know, going back to the greed and the lust, like a lot of people have that. And if we all made a level wage and all, all had all of this stuff that you're talking about, the people that are in power right now would have less money. They would have less control. And how would they feed their ego if they had that? Mm. You know, I feel like those people are also in fear of not having control and not having money. Um, And that kind of drives them. No. 
There was this dude, he was a Marine, um, uh, Major Butler is what they called him. Um, in 1933, well, first off, I should say when he died, he was the most decorated military leader ever in the United States. I think he fought in like fuck, four or five wars or some shit like that. Like this motherfucker was the real deal. And he wrote um, a book called War is a Racket. This was his perspective as being the most successful general ever in the United States in wars, right? He saw war as a racket and he wrote a small book about it. Um, in 1933, he became involved in a controversy known as the business plot, right? When he told a congressional committee that a group of wealthy industrialists were planning a military coup to overthrow President Franklin D. Roosevelt, with, with Butler selected to lead the march of veterans to become dictator. And this is similar to the fascist re, re, uh, regimes at that time, like uh, when Hitler rose to power, right? Mm -hmm. So these were the business leaders of the world that came to this motherfucker and said, hey, we're going to make some things happen and we want you to be the dude. And he actually had a little bit of innocence in his heart, right? Where he actually looked at America and said, this is not the America I want to live in. I actually care about the people. And that's why I fought in five fucking wars. Yeah. Right. Um, the individuals all involved denied the existence of the plot and the media ridiculed the allegations, but a final report by the Special House of Representatives Committee confirmed some of Butler's testimony. Butler later became an outspoken critic of American wars and their consequences. And in fact, in 1935, Butler wrote the book Wars Racket, where he exposes the corrupt nature of war and the profiting behind it. Butler is a decorated Marine Corps general. And um, he reveals how powerful interests manipulate conflicts for financial gain, and this is some of the this is some of the structures that are in place in society, right? And I think a lot of times when people go to war and stuff and sign up for their country, they have this idea of doing what's right and what's good, and I'm going to fight for my country. I'm going to protect things, right? But I think we have to go back to an idea of innocence in a sense, where we have to find that interconnectedness, where we actually care for the world around us and each other, right? Mm -hmm. I think that's the only way that society really works. Um, I think that the road that we're going down, fucking dangerous. It is. I think society is getting dangerous. What are you thinking about this innocence topic, God damn it? Um, I think it's complicated. You ain't shit, and I'm telling you, I've had a hard time this week, man. Yeah. You I think within yourself, it's easy-ish. Um, but when you talk about it in society's terms, it gets really messy because mm. everybody has a different interpretation of what's good and bad. And some these people are going to say it's good, and these people are going to say it's bad, and that divides us, you know. So how do you how do you come back to connecting with each other if you all have different ideas of what good and bad is? How does that work? It just—it's a mess. <laughs> it is a mess. It's a mess. You know, and I think a lot of the things is we we come up with a, a constructed view of of what right and wrong is based on what's been right or wrong from the past, right? Like we we see certain things as, you know, oh, this is what you need to be, and this is what is evil, <laughs> right? Um, but a lot of times, the information that we're getting is being controlled by powerful people that want us to see the world a certain kind of way, right? But I think it, if we look within and we realize, you know, that treating each other with value would make a more valuable America. Um, you know, I think a lot of the things that society is doing is seeking control. But I think real freedom, it comes from things like education, you know, and I think that's why our education system is so much under control. Yeah. What do you think about our education system? It's crap. Fuck. Thank you <laughs> for that long dissertation. <laughs> it's crap, people. <laughs> it's crap. Um, Would you like to expound on that? I guess. Um, I believe that they're not really taught 
anything valuable. I mean, there are some things, you know, um, that they, they brief over, but I think a lot of it is to make people bored and uninterested in what's being taught. Um, they're in taught thought, in, in they're, thought in thinking. Yes. And then also when you do the same problem a million times, you kind of shut off your brain and you don't really think about it and you don't want to do it anymore. And, you know, they only teach one certain way and there are so many different teaching styles. So if one person gets it and the person sitting next to them doesn't get it, they think they're stupid and they want nothing to do with it. They'd rather go out and smoke weed behind the bleachers, you know? Mm. Um, and I just believe that it's basically, that's, that's their point of doing it is to control. And so people don't want to learn. They don't want to better themselves. They, they don't find interest in things. They would rather just shut off their brain. And when you shut off your brain, it's easier to control everybody, you mm. know? So I, I believe it's, it's a control tactic. And then, you know, a lot of people think that it's good to have an education because yes, they're teaching you about math and science, but are they really teaching you about math and science? Are they getting you interested in what you want to be interested in? Or are they just numbing you? Trying to shut off your brain, you know? Okay, children, let's take our seats. This morning, we're going to have a special lecture from your school counselor, Mr. Mackey. Boo. Now, now, who is that? That is not appropriate behavior, okay? I'm sorry, Mr. Mackey. Okay. Uh, that's okay. Just don't let it happen again. We won't let it happen again, Mr. Mackey. Okay? Uh, okay, okay, that's fine. Okay. Okay. Now, uh, as your counselor, I'm here to tell you about drugs and alcohol and why they're bad, okay? So, first of all, uh, smoking's bad. You shouldn't smoke. And uh, alcohol is bad. You shouldn't drink alcohol. And uh, as for drugs, well, drugs are bad. You shouldn't do drugs. Okay, that about wraps up my introduction. Now, uh, are there any questions? So our brain has a lot of electromagnetic patterns that it follows. And I think with the technology today that there's been a disruption in the patterns. I think that society, since the age of social media, I think we're moving into a place of mental illness. And, you know, the idea that... Um, that there is an electromagnetic flow of energy that affects our physical body is kind of a crazy hippie thing. Wouldn't you say? A little bit. Okay. Yeah. So here's, here's some stuff that I found this week. Scientists have observed electromagnetic patterns that surround a woman's body with ovarian cancer. They record the same patterns of energy among all affected women. Now, among women that did not have ovarian cancer, there had been an electromagnetic signature altogether. While some of the healthy women did record the same patterns when tested, those that did develop ovarian cancer over time had this pattern existing before they actually had the cancer. So the, the, basically, the scientists could see this electromagnetic pattern of energy that was consistently the same among people that had ovarian cancer eventually, even if they were healthy at the time that they detected this pattern. So there was a, there was a formation of energy before the disease actually showed up. So that this actually begs the question, do we attract disease by patterns of energy? Because these scientists, they kind of thought that that was what was happening. Maybe. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a doctor or a scientist. I have no... I thought that's why you were here. <laughs> okay, so that got a little deep and complicated, but here's the thing. I think that I think we're attracting a form of mental disease by the patterns that, that society is going with the technology that we have. I think we're getting farther away from innocence, which I think is a little bit closer to actual human connection. Just that same idea of being separated from water, from air, from earth from light all that stuff how the the physical body would die i think our spirit is dying when we're disconnected from each other and i think that our technology today is keeping us in a state where we're disconnected from each other yeah you feel me i feel you okay i think the, you said it the meditation thing you know but not just meditation for the individual i think that we have to actually have things that bring people together physically together, 
mentally together where we can exchange some kind of value and appreciation for each other. And you know where I think that happens? No. Art. Well, I said art. I said yeah, meditation I and art. Yeah, I thought you were going to say. <laughs> I thought you were going to had. I thought you had some brilliant other thing no, going on. No, I'm listening to you. <laughs> I don't know shit. <laughs> No, music, man. Music is one of those things. Film, you know, the arts, yeah. the arts, this brings people together and it gives us a view of the world from another person's eyes. Yeah. And when we start to see that, hey, we're not so different, even though you are clearly, uh, you know, trailer park bucket whore that's hanging out at the buffet <laughs> with Jesus. And I am like a monkey that watches football. Mm. I don't know. We're, we could be different people is what I'm saying. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you know, but we can come together in art. We can have a true connection in art. And I, I think that that's what brings us a little bit closer to innocence, that, that childlike feeling that it's okay. You know, where that baby just smiles at people. It's okay. You're okay. I'm okay. You know, and I think it takes breaking away from the technology that we have, these phones that we carry around, the social media, you know, I can't connect to the digital self. I can't either. You know, so uh, I don't know, man. We're out of time. I know that. Um, I know as artists, um, I feel a little bit closer to what it's all about. I feel a little bit closer and connected to people when I practice art. Um, so be good to yourself, people, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Do you have any uh, closing thoughts, Phoenix? No, not really. Not really. <laughs> Are you glad you came? Yeah. Are you learn anything? A little bit, yeah. You did? Yeah. Okay, I think I did too. Okay. Hmm. What do you think the people should do here? I don't know. <laughs> they should probably <laughs> fuck off. It's over, people. <laughs> it's over. We're out of here. Turn this shit off. I am Curious G, and I got my girl. Phoenix. Phoenix. <laughs> This is the Truth of Power podcast, and we are out. That is our episode for this week on the topic of innocence. This brings us to the end of this track, and we are going to introduce the next song for the next conversation. This song is Beat Down. In the pocket, smooth ass cuts. I came for change, the came up bust. Some guts that nothing to say. I spoke my mind, may sprain my brain. Lyrically swung around jungle lines. Beat to beat, beat up blind. You bet your ass, but wait long. Forget right swinging, toss unstrong. Gotta ask, is y'all asleep? 300 million sheep. Should I keep my angry, mad ass breath before I talk this life to death? Beat hits right on point. May fit this mic. Alright, Rob. Uh, rock this joint. <laughs>